I love hearing the stories from the mission team to Nicaragua to see how God provides. I love flying. Ever since I've been little, I've always been drawn to stories about journeys. You know, being a preacher, I was the kid who read like stories of the journeys of missionaries when I was a kid. I love watching epic journeys on the big screen at the movies. I love reading books about journeys to foreign places and doing new things. And I've just always loved journeys. And at some level, when a lot of times when I get stressed out in life, I dream about what it would be like for me to go on a great journey. And I think about selling all of our stuff, mine and Emily's stuff, moving to a remote village, maybe in the mountains of Guatemala or maybe in Nicaragua, maybe living off the grid and just seeing what life would be like to see if we could make it. That's, that's a dream I often have. Now, Emily does not share this dream with me. But a lot of times I think about what would it be like to go on a journey like that? And then I find myself laying in bed with the world at my fingertips with my phone, thinking about all the restaurants right around me. And then I turn on Netflix and I watch a movie about an amazing journey and then I fall asleep and I wake up the next day and live my life like it was the day before. And I feel like at some level, a lot of us are like that, right? We dream about going on an amazing journey and stories like the students told, they're inspiring to us. We go and we watch them at the movies. We dream about what it would be like if Chip and Joanna Gaines came into our home and took us on a journey of renovation. If all things were made new in our houses, we think about what if we were debt-free? What kind of journey could we go on as a family? How we could grow together? We, we think about exotic vacations. And sometimes we plan years for them. And so often we think about going on a journey. We have these dreams, and yet day after day, we fall asleep, and we wake up, and we continue to live our lives like we were the day before. And I think one of the reasons we do that One of the reasons I haven't gone on my epic journey off the grid yet is because going on a journey like that would require a lot of change from us. It would require us being very uncomfortable. It would require a lot of risk. It would require doing things differently. And while a lot of us say that we might like change, the bottom line is most of us don't really like change. I recently heard someone say, the only person in this world who really likes change is a baby with a wet diaper. Right? They like change, but a lot of us, we don't like it. But as we've been reading these stories throughout the Bible, these last number of weeks in this series called The Journey, I don't know about you, but I've been inspired as I've read about Abraham's journey, Moses' journey, Jesus' journey, the journey of the early disciples. They're inspiring to me, and I want a journey like that with God. Anybody else want a journey like they had with God? When I see the miracles of God at work in their lives, when I see the power of God on display, I think I want to be a part of something like that. I want my life to look like that. But then as I dig deeper into the stories and I really think about it, I I think, well, actually, (laughs) I don't know if I want to have to risk as much as Abraham did and leave everything I know behind. I don't know if I want to deal with all the grumbling of the Israelites like Moses had to deal with. I don't know if I want to risk my life in persecution like the disciples did in the early church. And so, a lot of times I don't live like them and I don't have an amazing journey like they have. We don't have those types of journeys because I think a lot of times what we say to God is, we say to God, God, I want to go on a journey with you. I want to see you work in a powerful way, 
But then we, we, we give God a caveat. We say, but God, I want to take it slow. I want to remain comfortable. I want to go at my own pace on this journey. And while we're telling God that, God is over here whispering to us and sometimes shouting to us, no, 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 trust me, follow me. And if you trust me and follow me and you risk, I'll take you on a journey greater than anything you ever imagined. But so often we're hesitant. We're hesitant because of the changes it would require from us. And so if you're like me and you found yourself hesitant in life to go on a journey, or if you found yourself hesitant with God to go all in on a journey that He wants you to go on, today's story is for you. Today's story, which is the last in this series, is a story about someone who truly went all in and went on an amazing journey. And the journey we're going to look at is the journey of a guy named Saul. He's also known as Paul throughout the Bible. So if I use the names interchangeably throughout the sermon, that's why. And so a little background on Saul. Saul, he, he was born in Tarsus. He was a Roman citizen. He was circumcised when he was young. He was part of the Jewish faith. And he had great teachers. He had teachers who were well-known by the entire world at the time. And so he was trained up as an expert in the law. And really what you need to know about Saul is that he was a very bold and zealous Jew. And he did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He didn't believe that Jesus was truly the one that God had sent into this world to rescue and ultimately save his people. And Saul, actually, he didn't only not believe it, he also actively persecuted the church. In Acts chapter 7, we see him watching as Stephen, an early follower of Jesus Christ, was stoned to death. That is, they literally threw rocks at him until he died because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And Saul stood there overseeing it. And then we see him going house to house, pulling out Christians, ravaging them, trying to destroy their faith. And then we come to Acts chapter 9, our passage today, where we see Paul's journey take a sharp turn. We see everything change as he receives an invitation from God and as he goes on this journey. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them to Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20, as we read about Paul's amazing journey and his experience on the road to Damascus. Beginning in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And so he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if you found anyone who belonged to the way, now the way it was another name that the church went by at the time. If you found anyone belonging to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And so they led him by hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. 
And the Lord called out to Ananias in a vision and said, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. If you've been with us, you'll notice that is in a lot of people's story. God telling them to go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. You talk about change or talk about a new journey, an epic journey. That's what we see beginning in Saul's life right here as everything changes for him. This is just the beginning. This is the beginning of Paul's radical transformation. And we see his transformation continue to be played out throughout the rest of the New Testament. If you read the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul traveled thousands and thousands of miles spreading the good news to all people. We see him starting churches and we find letters that he wrote to those churches in the New Testament today. Paul has a huge legacy around the world even now. And as he went on a journey with Jesus, everything changed for him. Everything changed for him. And what we see happening in Paul's life or Saul's life is what we call in the church oftentimes conversion. We see things changing. We see radical change as Paul moves from an old way of life to a new way of life centered on Jesus Christ. As Paul moves from someone who was persecuting Christians to someone who is going out and is making Christians. As Paul moves from someone who had just heard about Jesus and who opposed Jesus to someone who knew Jesus Christ personally. And Paul's conversion, a lot of you have probably heard this story before because it's one we tell a lot in church. It's dramatic. It's powerful. It's almost instant. It's inspiring. It's encouraging. And I've known people who've come to faith in Jesus Christ just like this. They were headed in one direction and it was a straight U-turn in the opposite direction in a moment. But for a lot of us here, a lot of us, our conversion experience hasn't been exactly like that. For a lot of us, ours was more gradual or more cumulative over time. I once heard someone say this, that conversion is like crossing a river. Some of us cross the river at the head of the stream, where it's a little narrower, maybe it's even a creek. And so to get to the other side, it's a quick jump. And on the other side, everything is different. But others of us, when we cross the river, it's, it's at the mouth. It's a lot wider. And so we get in, we have to swim, it takes a little while. Sometimes we get stuck in the mud. But eventually, 
we come to the other side. We've experienced conversion and everything is new and different in our life. In conversion, it's an essential part of the Christian faith. Converting from an old way of life to a new way of life in Jesus Christ. But it's not just something that as Christians we're called to experience one time. It's something that God wants to do continually in our lives as Christians. God continually wants to convert us and to change our hearts. But this change, this conversion, it's not something we can do on our own. It's something that we need the Holy Spirit working in us to experience. We need the Holy Spirit to help us change, to help us be converted. And as we're converted as Christians, we see some key changes in our life. And these are key changes that we see in Paul's life as well. And so I want to highlight just a few of those changes that Paul experienced that God wants us to experience in our life as well. And so if you're taking notes, you can write these down. But the first one I want to talk about is a change in identity. On that road to Damascus, when Paul was converted, he received a new identity. He had a new answer to the question, who am I? He had a new answer to that question. I mean, if you look previously, who was Paul? Paul was someone who went around persecuting people. But now we see a major change. Some of you might have heard this, that when Paul was converted, one of the key changes in his life was his name. Have you heard that before? Actually, that's, that's kind of what happens, but Paul actually had both names from early in his life. Because Saul was the name he was given at his circumcision. It was his Jewish name. And so when he was hanging around Jewish people, he went by Saul. But since he was a Roman citizen, he also had a Roman name, a Greek name, and that name was Paul. And so early on, when we read about Saul, he's hanging out with Jewish people, and so he goes by Saul. But then when he begins spending time with the Gentiles, with the non-Jewish people, he goes by Paul because he's trying to reach them and meet them where they are. And so he does have this name shift as he's experiencing his conversion. But something much deeper than a change in names is happening to him. Something much deeper in his heart. Paul, through his baptism, if you were with us a few weeks ago, you know this. He became a beloved son of God. Paul, whose mission in life was to get Jesus Christ out of the community, out of the world. His, his mission in life was to get Jesus Christ out of anyone possible and to exterminate people who thought otherwise. Paul, in his conversion, had a new identity. And throughout his letters, we read him continually describing himself as someone who was in Christ. That's his new identity, in Christ. And Paul tells us throughout his letters that someone who is in Christ, if that's your identity, then you can have forgiveness for your sins. And so Paul was forgiven for all the persecution that he did to the church. You can have eternal life when you're in Christ. And that's something that Paul had confidence of and it enabled him to risk great things. Paul says that if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation at all. If you're in Christ, there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. In his letters, Paul continually tells us what it means to be in Christ. And those benefits that Paul had in Christ are the same benefits we had. When we're converted, when we profess faith in Jesus Christ, we become beloved sons and daughters of God. We are people who are in Christ and we can have forgiveness. We can have eternal life. 
We can know God's love deeply and we can have abundant life here and now. But like we talked about, when you receive a new identity, sometimes it's hard to have that rest deep in your heart. God gives us that new identity in a moment, and that's how God sees us. But sometimes it's hard for us to convert our own ways of thinking and to see ourselves as in Christ or children of God. Emily and I have been going through this lately as we've received a new identity as a married couple. When we go to restaurants, they say, a party of two, Mr. and Mrs. Anderson, and I think they're talking about my parents. Or I think they're talking about my brother and my sister-in-law, right? Emily has a literal new identity by the government as she has a new social security card. She has a new driver's license. And so when people call her, hey, Mrs. Anderson, sometimes she doesn't respond on the first time because she's slowly growing into that identity. So you should test her and start calling her Mrs. Anderson to see how that identity is setting in her soul. But here's the thing is that the identity that we receive in Christ, it has benefits way greater than social security, way greater than insurance policies or bank accounts. The benefits we receive when our identity is in Christ are eternal. They're significant here and now. They're gifts that God wants to give us, but so often we don't see ourselves that way. But God, when we're converted gives us a new identity, and he calls us continually, even after we're following Jesus Christ, to live into that identity and to understand more and more what it means. But he not only gives us a new identity, Jesus, when we go on a journey with him, also gives us a new community. He gives us a new set of people. He helps us answer the question in a new way, who are my people? And when we look at Paul's life, we see something interesting. In verses 19 to 20, after he regained his strength after not eating for a few days, we read that he spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And I don't know if you catch how significant that is. Formerly, Paul was going into their houses and dragging them out and trying to exterminate them. And now he spends several days with them, eating. Feasting, praying, being encouraged. He's learning from them all about this Jesus guy that he formerly opposed. Paul has a new group of people. And once he's trained up, he goes out. And he starts building churches. He starts establishing churches all over the known world at that time. Because Paul knew that while conversion, while going on in Jesus was a personal thing, it was never meant to be a private thing. That when God calls us to go on a journey with Him, He always calls us to do it in the context of other people. Paul knew this was God's pattern from the beginning. I mean, if you think about it, God exists in eternal community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the beginning, when God wanted to rescue His people, what did He do? He called Abraham to form a community, the nation of Israel. When Jesus came to this world, he didn't just come in and do things on his own like a solo power ranger. No, he called together a community of disciples. And God is continually calling together us to live in community, to form a new group of people, a group of people who can encourage us, who can teach us, who can pray for us. And one of the reasons God does this is because change on our own Conversion on our own, it's very, very difficult. 
It's very difficult, and so we need the church to encourage us, to hold us accountable, to pray for us, to support us, to bear our burdens. Because when we're on a journey with other people and we're headed to the same destination, we can get there faster. And a lot of industries know this already. A lot of industries in society and new industries are picking up on this idea that we were actually created by God for community. And one of the latest industries to, to be picking up on this is the fitness industry. Anybody here have a Fitbit and you know you can connect with other people on the Fitbit app and you can track your steps and compete against other people? It's drawing you together in community. Some of you, Emily told me this is an irrelevant term, but some of you, y'all remember Jazzercise? Anybody remember? Who, who did Jazzercise in here? Okay, y'all remember Jazzercise, right? You're exercising with other people because it's inspiring, it's encouraging. And group fitness classes like Pilates and Pure Bar, all of those things are continually on the rise. CrossFit, Orange Theory, because these industries are figuring out that when you do stuff with other people, you're able to achieve your goals, you're able to achieve your desired change quicker. And even now, these group fitness classes are taking off among men. And one trainer, Alonzo Wilson, he said this about his gym and about when people work out together. He said, there's a foxhole mentality. The camaraderie helps push participants to the next level. And it's the same thing for us in the church. When we become a part of this new community and when we continually press into this community, God helps take our faith to the next level. He helps us take the next step on the journey. And it's a lot easier with other people by our side. And so when we're converted, we get a new identity, a new community. And finally, what we see in Paul's life is that he receives a new purpose. He receives a new answer to the question, what in the world was I put on this earth to do? If you notice, before his conversion, we, we know what he was doing. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if you found anyone there, who belonged to the way he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. But during his conversion experience, God told Ananias this, this man is my chosen instrument to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. He moved from being an instrument of death to being an instrument of life. Paul's purpose changed radically and his key purpose is the key purpose we talked about last week to be a witness to Jesus Christ to all people but not just to all people Paul had a specific commission he was to be a witness of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles because God knew that Paul was uniquely equipped to reach that group of people Paul was a Roman citizen he spoke Greek and Hebrew he knew their culture and he knew the Jewish culture and now he knew the culture of the church, and so he was able to be a bridge. And we see him bridging these gaps throughout the entire New Testament. And God today, when we're converted, he gives us a new purpose. And he's continually calling us to live out that purpose, and that is to be witnesses. But God also has given us unique spiritual gifts. He's given us a unique context. He's given us a past, and he's given us a present that helps us be witnesses in a unique way to unique people. And this is one of the reasons why I don't sell everything and I go off the grid. Because God has given me specific gifts. He's given me specific experiences and He wants me to use them for His glory. 
to reach people through the church. And God has given you unique gifts, unique experiences. You know the vocabulary of people. You know their context. You know their culture. And in some circumstances, only you can connect the gospel to these people. And God wants you to be witnesses to them. A new identity. A new community. A new purpose in life. I mean, if you think about these things, these are huge, huge shifts. These are huge changes in trajectory. And, and Paul, you know, he did a 180. And, and for us to do a 180 like that, it takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of courage when we initially step out on that journey and are converted. But it also takes faith and it takes courage as we're continually converted, as we continually realize our identity in Christ, as we continually join into Christian community and grow deeper, as we continually live out our purpose day after day. And I'll tell you this, I can't sit up here today and promise you that if you experience these changes in your life, that you will have a great, a happy life. I can't promise you that you're going to experience health or experience wealth or that your life is going to be easy. I can't do that because I've read the book of Acts many times. And what we see in Acts is that as people take on these changes, sometimes life actually gets more difficult. So I can't promise that it's going to be easy, but I can promise you this. When you begin to experience these changes in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, it will be worth it. It will be worth it, and God will take you on a journey that's greater than anything you ever could have asked or imagined. When you go all in for God and say, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go, God will do amazing things in your life. And just a few weeks ago, as I was praying through this first series in our life together, and I was thinking about this journey that we were beginning I began praying to God that throughout this sermon series that God would help someone begin their journey with Him. I began praying that prayer regularly, stepping out in faith, trusting that God would make it happen. Trusting in the midst of circumstances I hadn't even seen yet. And a few weeks ago, God answered that prayer. When a woman named Megan came up to me after the service and said, Jonathan, I want to start, I want to restart my journey with God. She told me she'd been a part of Harvest Point for a little while and through the word and through some other circumstances, she was ready to get on the track with God and to follow him. And this morning, actually, Megan Gilly and her son Landon are going to come forward this morning and we're going to hear a little of their story. So would you give them a round of applause of encouragement as they come forward? And now let me tell you this, I did, I promised Megan that she wouldn't have to talk much. Because you know, some people like the microphone, for other people it's hard. So I told her she wouldn't have to talk much, but I just wanted to spend a few minutes hearing about her journey because it's, it's inspiring, it's encouraging, and we need to share what God's doing in this place. And so, Megan, when you came up to me, you told me a little bit about your story, about how You grew up in church. You came to know Jesus early in life. You were baptized as a child. Tell us a little bit about your experience in church growing um, up. 
Well, we went to church all the time, actually, me and my parents and my sisters. Mm. And I was saved and baptized when I was nine. And I actually was in the choir and I wrote a song and sung it at church and all of that. And um, as our family started going through troubles, my parents with their marriage, we kind of fell mm. apart from that. Um, and my mom actually left when I was 11. So that kind of derailed, you know, a lot of that. And my dad was a single parent with three daughters by himself. So I had to grow up quickly and help raise my sisters. Mm. So. so you grew up quickly. Your mom left when you were 11. Right. And then you had Landon at 15. Mm-hmm. And you both almost died right. when he was born. Tell us a little bit about yeah, that experience. Um, well, I mean, I was 15. It was really scary. I really didn't know exactly what was going on. But he was born pretty early. And um, he actually wasn't breathing or anything when he was born. They had to fully resuscitate him. Wow. And um, they had to watch me for about a week after just to make sure that I was okay because I lost so much blood. Mm. So it was really scary. Yeah. So, I mean, when you were telling me your story, it sounded like you had a lot of roadblocks along the way. And you kind of faded from church. You were trying to raise Landon. And then lately God's been stirring in your heart through him as he's been asking questions and being curious and as you've been been coming here and becoming part of the family um so yeah tell us a little about what what god's been doing inside of you um i haven't been in church in a very long time but i've been to other churches Mm. and i never really felt anything Mm. that really connected with me um until i got here actually and the day i come up to you i was pretty emotional if you remember. Mm-hmm. So um, I was sitting there and it's, I've been praying about things in our life and it just seemed like the whole message was directed towards me. Hmm. The songs, everything you were saying just touched inside of me and I just felt, like the whole time through the service, like right after I was like, okay, I need to go talk to him and I felt <laughs> that urge and I was just kind of like hesitant. Yeah. So, but then I finally come and grabbed you at the end. Wow, so. wow. So Megan, when we were talking, you know, She's known Christ, she's been baptized, but really what, what she said to me was, hey, I've been going in my own direction, I've been doing my own thing, but now I want to restart my journey with God. I want to begin following Jesus Christ and going wherever He leads. And so I, she wanted to come forward and reaffirm her faith in front of you today. And so I just want to ask you in front of everyone, are you ready to follow Jesus and to go yes. wherever He leads? Yes, I think that's exactly what we've all been missing as a family mm. in our life. So I'm ready to get that back. Awesome. Well, I'll give so. you, what do you, here, let's hand him the microphone. Well, I'll get you one question. What do you think about all this going on in your mom's life? I think that it'll be pretty good for her. Cool, cool. Awesome, awesome. Well, hey, we all, we all celebrate them and just praise God for what he's doing in their life. So as I wrap up this message and as we wrap up this series today, I want us um, to wrap it up with a time of prayer over them um, and then some moments of prayer um, with and for one another. And so if you would, if you'll bow your heads with me as we pray over Megan, Landon, and their entire family, the others in the nursery. Almighty God, we thank you for the new thing that you're doing in Megan's heart and her entire family. And we thank you for her step of faith. God, like Abraham, she's stepping out into the unknown a little bit. 
God, like Moses, when she looks at herself, she's kind of an unlikely candidate to be on this platform right now. God, like the disciples, she's saying, I want to live with a new purpose. I have a new identity. And God, we celebrate that today. And we ask that you would continue to work in her heart. God, that you would continue to work in her life, that you would bless them. God, that you would help guide her into the future. And as a community, that we would embrace her and her family, that we would help them grow. God, that we would be the people you created us to be. We're so thankful. We're so thankful, God. And now I want to invite you to remain in a, in a posture and a spirit of prayer. I want to invite you to keep, keep your eyes closed. Because I know that there might be other people here today that have heard Megan's story. They've been here throughout this series, been hearing about the journey, and, and feel like this might be the time for them to start their journey. I know some of you maybe feel like you've been, been a little distant from God. You've been watching things from afar, but you want to say, God, I want to start this journey with you today. I want to follow your son, Jesus Christ, and let him be the leader of my life. And if that's you today, I want to give you the opportunity to respond and to say to God, God, I want to start this journey. And so if that's you today, I want to invite you to just pray this prayer after me in the quietness of your own heart. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And God, I confess that I'm tired of doing things on my own. Forgive me for all the ways that I've sinned against you and strayed from the path you have for me. God, give me new life today. I trust you and your son, Jesus Christ. That he is who he says he is. That he died on the cross so that I could have forgiveness. And that he rose from the grave so that I could have life forever. God, I believe and I want to start a journey with you today. If that was you and you prayed that prayer, if you'll just slip up your hand and just raise your hand this morning. Amen. Let's continue to remain in a, in a spirit of prayer. And I, I want to pray for a different group of people now. If you feel like You've been distant from God. You've known God. You've been on the journey. You've trusted Christ. Maybe you grew up in church and you've been baptized. But like Megan, you feel like you've hit some roadblocks and you've strayed. But today you want to say, God, I want to get back on the right path. I want to follow you again. If that's you, if you'll just pray this in your own heart. God, I've missed you. I want to follow your son, Jesus Christ, again. I want to go where he leads me and begin this journey again. If that was you and you prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand so we can celebrate that? Amen.
And now finally, I want us to pray for another group of people. And, and many of you in here, you're on the journey. You're following Jesus Christ, but you have people in your life that you've been praying for. You've been praying that God would stir in their hearts and stir in their souls. You've been praying that they would begin the journey for themselves with Jesus Christ. If that's you and you've been praying for someone in your life and you'd like us to pray for them now, would you just raise your hand as a sign that you're praying for them? God, all of these hands represent people. People that you love, who you want a relationship with. And God, we pray that you would draw these people to yourself, whether it's through Harvest Point or through another church. God, whether they're near or whether they're far, God, continue to draw them to yourself and use us to be witnesses to them. God, all of these things we ask in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, I just want to celebrate because there were a number of people who raised their hands that they wanted to start that journey with God today. And so will you just celebrate people beginning the journey? And there were a number of people who said they want to restart their journey with God, people like Megan and Landon. So will you celebrate those people who made that commitment today? And we're going to continue to pray for all the hands that were raised, for all the people who aren't yet here, who God wants a relationship with. And we're going to continue to pray for opportunities. And now in our closing song, I, I just want to let you know that, that this area, this altar area is open. If you'd like to come forward and pray during this final song for yourself, if you want to come forward with a friend and pray for your friend, if you want to pray for someone who's not yet on the journey, we want to invite you to do that or to pray in your own seats. And if you raised your hand for beginning the journey or wanting to restart the journey, I'm going to be up front down here. I would love, I'll be actually be over here. I would love to pray with you during this time and also I'd love to talk with you and pray with you after the service so we can help you along the way God's doing exciting things here he's calling us on a new journey together and it's only just beginning